big round of applause for Gordon's Touch of Class Squire. Thank you, guys. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Hey, guys. Let me, uh, let me thank you and welcome each and every one of you here today. It's uh, a great honor to have so many of you out here in the southeast sector of San Francisco. Obviously, I'd like to begin by acknowledging all the members of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors that are, are now part of this new tradition where we're doing the state of the city actually out in the community, not down at City Hall. So I appreciate you guys coming out today. I want to... Uh, I want to acknowledge uh, Supervisor Dufty for being here, Supervisor Ellsburn uh, for being here, of course, uh, Supervisor Sophie Maxwell, thank you, Sophie, for being here, uh, as well as Supervisor Tom Amiano, uh, District Attorney Kamala Harris, who's here, and our Sheriff, Perennial Sheriff, Michael Hennessy, thank you, Michael, <laughs> for being here, and uh, our, uh, our new uh, Treasurer, Jose Cisneros, and Phil Ting, our Assessor, thank you for being here, and, of course, uh, our Public Defender. Uh, Jeff Adachi, I appreciate you coming out as well. Uh, and uh, you got fans here. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, of course, I'd like to thank uh, our controller, Ed Harrington, who deserves a, a big round of applause, the controller in San Francisco. As, uh, as does our city administrator, Mr. Edwin Lee. Ed, thank you uh, as well for coming out here. And you all know him. He is everywhere. And that is my good friend and our assemblyman, Mark Leno, who's here as well. We thank you, Mark, for, for coming out. And uh, just, if I may, thank you collectively for, obviously, your unwavering commitment and support uh, to make San Francisco a better place to work and a better place for each and every one of us. And, of course, uh, I, I know he's here somewhere. Uh, I am honored that he decided to show up, and that is the former mayor of the city and county of San Francisco. Some still think he's mayor of San Francisco, and that's Mayor Willie Brown. Mayor Brown, big round of applause for Mayor Brown. We thank you uh, as well for coming out here. Thank you very much. And how about, how about we give a big round of applause to our friends at Burton High School and Principal Eric Marshall. I imagine they're back here and the junior and senior class of Burton High. Thank you. Thanks for your enthusiasm. And thanks for letting us take the gym in the last few days. Uh, of course, I'd also like to take a moment uh, to uh, honor and recognize a, a special guest who all the way in from the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and that's the Democratic nominee for mayor of Washington, D.C., or Let's just face it, it's Washington, D.C., the mayor-elect of Washington, D.C., and my friend Adrian Fenty is here. Adrian, stand up. Thank you very much for coming by. Congratulations, Adrian. The mayor of the nation's capital. I, I'm proud as well. I'm proud as well to be joined by uh, the command staffs of our fire and police departments in particular. Uh, it's appropriate that we recognize and thanks Fire Chief uh, Joanne Hayes-White, uh, who's here. And, for their command staff, and, and we recognize uh, the tough job and the hard work uh, that our police chief, Heather Fong, uh, is doing as well. Thank you, Chief Fong, for being here. You guys, uh, it goes without saying, uh, you know, they, they, they've taken 
some heat lately, both of them, but they are committed to the city. And uh, I think you all agree there's, they don't sleep at night. They're committed 100% to making our streets and our neighborhoods safer uh, and stronger. Look, when I took office just now, almost three years ago, San Francisco was facing some daunting economic challenges. The dot-com bust and the shock of 9-11 hit our economy hard. We were facing historic budget deficits. Unemployment and office vacancies were near all-time highs, and expectations were an all-time low. Now, as I look back, I am incredibly proud at how San Franciscans came together to overcome these challenges. In just a few years, we've gone from historic budget deficits to the highest budget reserve in our city's history. That's not bad. That's not bad. This is amazing. In the last three years alone, unemployment is down a remarkable 26 percent. 6,300, this is incredible too, 6,300 new jobs have been created in the last calendar year alone. 57 companies. 57 companies as if either relocated or located in the city and county of San Francisco. 17 in the last nine months. And visitors, let me say this, visitors are returning to our city in extraordinary numbers. That's good. Uh, and and let, me, let me be specific about this. The Conventioners Visitors Bureau had a record year last year. They booked 925 convention groups representing more than 2.2 million hotel room nights over the next decade and a half. And 2006, incidentally, looks to be stronger than 2005. That's good news for the future of our economy, for the future of this city. We have raised our bond rating. See, people don't really applaud about that, but it is important. We raised our bond rating in San Francisco. We've cut millions of dollars of waste from our city budget. Uh, we've begun long overdue civil service reform. Uh, and we've improved our use of technology. And more and more, we're focusing on serving more people more efficiently. And we put the city back on sound economic footing. At the same time, I believe, taking giant steps to make sure our region's economy remains strong as well. We came together with uh, leaders like Michaela Aliotto Pierre and others to bring the headquarters for the California Institute of Regenerative Medicine to our city. And already, already that $3 billion stem cell institute is proving a catalyst for biotech and life sciences. Indeed, just this month, just this month, Fibrogen, with over 200 employees, decided to move their company and their headquarters to the Mission Bay area. Three years ago, that's a big deal. You know, it's a big deal because three years ago, biotech and life sciences were just a dream. We had task forces, we had work groups, we were talking about it, but there were no biotech companies here. Now they're back, and it's a reality that I think should excite and enliven all of our senses because the opportunity for biotech is an opportunity for every San Franciscan, not just PhDs, but for every San Franciscan. And in a city, a city that has been known historically as a divisive political climate, we were united in the face of these challenges, and I think it's appropriate that we acknowledge that these accomplishments are justly shared by all of us in this room today. So let me give all of you a big round of applause as well for your hard work and your commitment to the city. Now, what I'm proud of was that in the face of these great economic challenges, we were still able to look forward and address many of the long-term issues that confront us as a city, 
as a state and the long-term challenges we're faced as a nation. You know, as Washington failed, as Sacramento ducked, we honored our responsibility to ensure the basic human right of health care to be enjoyed by all San Franciscans. And that's a big deal, too. You know, in the next year, in the next year, we will begin the implementation of this historic health access plan, ensuring that every single one of those 82-plus thousand San Franciscans currently without health insurance are guaranteed, comprehensive, high-quality health care. And I want to thank Supervisor Tom Amiano in particular for his vision and his leadership to help make this a reality as well. We appreciate that work. As well, as well, I want to thank every. I look around the audience, so many of you as well that were instrumental in coming together with that work group and that task force to, to make this plan uh, come to light. Now, as the city has taken uh, on that tough challenge of health care, and it's no doubt one of the greatest challenges facing our country, and we found an innovative solution. And now at this moment, as we enjoy stronger revenue, this moment we enjoy continuing job growth and greater opportunity, it's time that we take head-on, in a similar fashion, the unfinished business of our city. It is certainly true, goes without saying, that San Francisco is a national and internationally recognized city, a city of innovation, a city of entrepreneurs, a city of discovery. But San Francisco is still a very small and precious place, just 47 and a half square miles, and 740,000 souls. And in this fragile place, our challenge is to preserve the qualities that make this the finest city in the world. The irony is that while it's becoming easier and easier to find a job in San Francisco, it's becoming harder and harder to find a seat on a bus. Our budget reserves may be filling up, but so are our streets and our sidewalks and our parks. San Franciscans have more money in their pocket, undoubtedly, but the cost, the cost of basic goods and services is also going up, and the economic challenges facing working families, particularly families with school-aged children in this city, I believe, have never been greater. The question before us, then, is how do we as a city, collectively, how do we answer these challenges? How do we keep our economy strong without making our quality of life worse? How do we continue to offer the kind of compassionate government we so desperately need without making the city more expensive to the working poor, the middle class, and working families? And how do we make room for new housing that our residents so desperately need without displacing our fellow San Franciscans by pricing them out of the city and gentrifying our remarkably fragile neighborhoods? How do we dare to dream big while not forgetting to fill those potholes, to clean our streets and parks and address the small problems of urban life that makes such a big difference in all of our quality of life. These are the challenges facing all of us in San Francisco. And to many of us here today, these challenges, I think, should sound very, very familiar. Because it was just a few short years ago, wasn't it, that in the midst of the dot-com boom, our city was divided over just these same issues. Long debated, long discussed, these vexing issues have, in truth, I believe, simply been long deferred. In the months and years ahead, we have an opportunity and an obligation to address these challenges, to answer how we can be a model for the world and still be a place of sustainability, affordability, and provide an outstanding quality of life for all our residents. Thanks to our strong economy, 
we now have the funds to address these persistent problems. Now it's up to us to master and to muster rather the will for our city to see the job through. Some of these issues may seem small, but truly I think they make the difference between whether people want to commit to continue to stay here for the long haul or simply say we've had enough of this city. Certainly filling potholes doesn't make headlines, but it does, I believe, make a difference. So as we talk about improving our quality of life, let's start right there with those terrible marks of urban decay, those potholes. See, it doesn't matter, I imagine, how any of you got here. If you took the bus, you're in a car, you, you walked, or you took a bike, you, you probably hit one or more of those potholes on the way over. <laughs> I imagine there's more than just one of you. Now, I'm of the opinion that uh, we can fulfill our promise as a city and also fill those potholes. But to do that, to do that, we've got to stop deferring and deferring and deferring the simple maintenance of our basic infrastructure. Do you know, do you know this? It's true. This is, uh, this is interesting. You know that San Francisco has over 12,458 blocks of pavement. 60% of which, this is not good news, 60% of which are in serious need of repair. Some streets need total repaving. Others just need that pothole filled to make them safe. That's why, thanks to the uh, vision and, and support of Supervisor Sean Ellsburn, this year our budget contains over $30 million to begin to fill those potholes, repave those streets, and finally, finally begin to address the over 300 and $80 million, $380 million needed to bring our streets back into repair. $30 million is a good start. At the same time, at the same time, uh, we are, are now taking steps to address one of the most needed things we need to do to improve our streets as well, and that is deal with the damage that is done by projects that are repairing and upgrading our city's infrastructure, those sewer projects, those power cables that are going underground, those cable and other vital infrastructure that are tearing up the streets and very often leaving those streets in worse condition than they did when they began that project in the first place. Now, to ensure that these projects no longer compromise our street quality, today I'm proposing new restoration guidelines requiring that all agencies responsible for tearing up our streets, be it utility companies, cable companies, and Susan Leal, let me say, even our own sister agency, the Public Utilities Commission, that they return the pavement to as good or better condition than when that work begun. It's long overdue we do that. We're going we're gonna to send out the Department of Public Works, and they're going to expect every one of these streets that have work being done on it to make sure these streets are repaired to an acceptable level, not just that patchwork you see in almost every block in San Francisco. But we're not, we're not just going to be focusing on the streets. After all, San Francisco should fulfill its promise as a pedestrian oasis. Walking is one of the best ways... We got some pedestrian advocates here. San Francisco, uh, we all recognize, is a magnificent place, and walking is one of the best ways to experience not only our neighborhoods, but to experience our breathtaking vistas and views. But our sidewalks, like our streets, suffer from that very same neglect, with over 5,298 blocks of sidewalks 
The reality is City Hall is only legally responsible to maintain just 106 of those blocks. Let me repeat that. 5,298 sidewalk blocks in San Francisco, yet the city legally is only responsible for 106. The remaining sidewalks are actually the responsibility of property owners. This year alone, we put in roughly three-quarters of a million dollars to fix those sidewalks. At the same time, don't get me wrong, I, I recognize that it's often too expensive for the average property owner to afford to keep their sidewalks in repair. That's why today we're going to be announcing a plan to help property owners repair and maintain their sidewalks. DPW, again, will go down and inspect these sidewalks in a very focused way and then notify the property owners of the deficiencies. Property owners then have the option to self-correct the problems or have, and this is what's unique, DPW-sponsored contractors perform the necessary work. Property owners conveniently then will either be assessed directly, billed directly, or through their property tax bill. We want to make it easy. Of course, we're not going to see a difference overnight, but we will make a difference in the years and months or months and years to come on both our streets and our sidewalks. Filling the potholes and repairing our streets and sidewalks, I believe, will make the day and day life of residents and visitors of San Francisco a little bit better. But as you know, if you want to have any hope, if the city wants to have any hope of making San Francisco a more enjoyable and easier place to live, we simply must make it more possible or better uh, and more accessible to get back and forth to work and school without having to get into our cars and fight the traffic and fight to find a parking space. And the best way, of course, we can do that is to make public transportation in San Francisco faster and more reliable. Now, I think, I think many of you know this. Muni alone, but it bears repeating, Muni alone carries some 700,000 passengers each and every day. Again, that's roughly equivalent to the entire population of the city. That makes it one of the most heavily used transit systems in the entire country. But the truth is, our network, the current network that you're utilizing day in and day out was designed in the late 1970s and the early 1980s. And today, it goes without saying, San Francisco is a completely different place. It's time for us to develop a transit system that works obviously not only for today, but is designed for our needs and challenges tomorrow. Certainly, undoubtedly, in the past several years, Muni has made great strides. A lot of those begun with my predecessor, Mayor Brown. But fare hikes recently and budget cuts undoubtedly have taken a toll on the riders and the system. And as every San Franciscan who's been late to work because the bus simply didn't show up, or when it did, almost worse yet, it was too full to board, can tell you we haven't done enough. We haven't done enough to improve Muni in a way that riders can see, in a way that riders can feel. And make no mistake, we are not going to sit back and wait for Muni to derail. That will not happen. As mayor, I recognize that while I don't have any longer direct responsibility or policy authority over the day-to-day -day decisions of our Metropolitan Transportation Agency, Proposition E wisely divested politicians from that discussion. 
I do bear direct obligation and responsibility to make sure that our transit system and our transit first policy are a reality, a successful and vibrant and very positive reality for all San Franciscans. And I get that. And you get that as well. Now, frankly, I don't think it's too much to ask that our buses run on time. I imagine you agree with me about that. Well, it's just not a big deal. Just get your buses to run on time. Now, under our new director, we did that national search, finding the best and the brightest. Under our new director, Nat Ford, we are taking, Nat's family's here. We are taking, we are taking concrete steps to better Muni's reliability and on-time performance. For the first time in 25 years, the first time in a quarter of a century, we are conducting a system-wide analysis of routes and ridership with a goal of fundamentally overhauling the entire system. This Transit Effectiveness Project, or TET for short, is a visionary effort to fundamentally reform and improve the way Muni operates. It's an 18-month study, and it's going to analyze over 80 lines 5,000 bus and train stops and travel patterns. It fundamentally seeks to reshape the system to meet the needs, again, of not only today's new realities, but also, again, to anticipate tomorrow's challenges. The TEP defines a new vision for transportation in San Francisco. The study is going to recommend, just as an example, adjustments in service based on geography, adjustments in service based on trip purpose, population, and utilization during different peak times of the day. It will analyze, and this is exciting, best practices of peer systems throughout the United States as well as peer systems around the world. It will focus on load factors and stop spacing, line spacing, and headways, technical, sure, but critical factors in making our system run on time. It will determine appropriate vehicle types and passenger facility needs. And most importantly, from my perspective at least, it's going to focus on new avenues for creating revenue beyond fare increases and recommend areas where we can make the system more efficient and reduce costs. No idea. No idea is too big. No idea is too small to be considered, but the end result, I anticipate, I'm convinced, will be simple. Muni will get you to where you want to go and where you need to go faster. That's what's going to happen. We're committed to that. Now, by this time next year, and we should be done and complete with this, by this time next year, when the plan's complete, we will have that blueprint for reform. But it goes without saying, we're not going to wait until then to implement the small things that make a big difference in our everyday commute. We're going to be smarter about how we use our existing resources, because I believe that Muni can raise to a much higher level of performance today. That's why we're announcing a new pilot program that will demonstrate what we can and should expect from Muni on one of the most heavily utilized lines in our system, and that's the one California. We're going to start by putting more line managers. This is just the beginning. More line managers so we can help manage that flow of bus traffic. We're going to begin next week by adding those parking control officers we've been talking about at problem intersections at peak hours. Beware for those that are double parking on California Street. We are going to begin to enforce that to make sure that gridlock does not keep you from getting to work on time. And we're going to work to change state law 
Southern Leno. I hope you're listening. We're going to be working to change state law to strengthen enforcement of double parking in bike or bus lanes, which we cannot do at a local level. And we're going to get Muni to work to explore changes like expanded hours for express service immediately. We're going to be bringing in larger vehicles immediately on express routes, and we're going to substantially expand our backdoor boarding pilot program. Now, this pilot alone will show, I believe, what's possible when we focus our collective energies and attention on getting results. And if it proves effective and it proves efficient, and I believe it will, we obviously will expand it to other key lines. In the meantime, we're working up to speed up other routes throughout San Francisco by implementing thoughtfully our bus, transit, uh, bus rapid transit system on not only Van S, which we recently announced, but yes, on Geary Boulevard. Now, uh, let me talk about this because I, I know this is controversial. BRT, as it's called, and let me just explain it a little bit in the past, creates a ded dedicated lanes, creates dedicated lanes for public transit, allows passengers to embark and disembark more efficiently, and takes advantage of SFGO, that integrative traffic management system that gives buses priority in real time on signals. Make no mistake, though, as I was just saying, we will work closely with the merchants. We cannot forget about the merchants on Geary Boulevard in particular to make sure we address their concerns before we implement this program. But we must implement this program. In addition, in addition, I, I've been taking Muni a lot more in the last few months, and so I, I have intimate appreciation of this. Uh, I think I... Every week I've been taking it for the last year and a half. That is true. And you can, you, you can just look back in the old press clippings to see what I did uh, as it relates to the, uh, that uh, cable car and the lack of receipt that I received. If you don't believe that I've been taking, got a little trouble for that. But one of the things that's uh, frustrated me, and I hear it frustrating a lot of you, uh, is we've got to make it a lot easier uh, to purchase a fast pass. You know, right now, many people, and I appreciate you know what they are. Now, right now, many people have to stand in line to buy a fast pass. And it's hard to believe. It is absolutely hard to believe. But we've been running out of those fast passes after people have been standing in line. That's got to stop. So I've directed Nat Ford, I've directed the MTA to explore the feasibility of placing fast pass distribution machines at all our metro stations and on muni kiosks throughout the city so riders don't have to go out of their way to purchase that fast pass. And we're also going to make our prepaid parking meter cards available online by the end of this year and early next year. These are great. So, so if you do find it necessary to drive, parking at a meter will not require an entire roll of quarters. <laughs> and you get what I mean. We've been raising the meters. I'm sorry about that. I've also directed the... Uh, the MTA to uh, make the installation, finally, of these next bus technology and new bus shelters a priority. You know, we've been, talking about, we've been talking about this technology and those new bus shelters for way too long. Time to act is now. Uh, so that when you're waiting for a bus or a streetcar, you'll know exactly when the next one is coming. Next bus technology, as you know, also lets you check in on your bus from your home computer, from your mobile phone. And I think that 
frankly takes one of the biggest stresses that people have uh, out of community, and that's simply not knowing when the next bus is going to arrive. So in collaboration with the chair of the Transportation Authority, my friend Supervisor Jake McGoldrick, and other key transportation leaders, I know we can get this done and fulfill our long overdue promise to deliver this next bus technology at every bus shelter. The time has come. We're going to make that a reality. We will. Now, in this day and age as well, more and more people are using their bikes to get to and from work. And it's, I think, increasingly important way uh, to confront the challenges of traffic congestion, the challenges of traffic pollution and health-related issues caused by a lack of physical activity. I think it's a good thing. But we need to make our streets safer for biking. And we also need to make it easier. While San Francisco is already considered, already, let's not forget this, one of the best big cities in the country for bicycle commuting, we can do more. So there is no misunderstanding. There's a lot of people are concerned about this. Let me make this clear. That lawsuit, that ill-conceived lawsuit that's holding up our bike plan will not stop us. Whatever the judge's decision won't stop us. Whatever the judge's decision, we will continue our long-term planning efforts to create that citywide bicycle network, uniting our current patchwork of bike lanes into a unified and comprehensive system. And it's also time, it's also time that we take steps to reach that goal, that goal we laid out a few years ago of making 10% of all of our commute trips in San Francisco bicycle trips within the next three and a half years. 10% of all those commute trips should be bicycle trips, and I believe we can make that a reality again in 36-plus months. Let's work together on making that a reality. While making Muni faster and bike riding safer, we must also aim to get people out of their cars so that we can get them healthier. And if we're going to really resolve to do that, we must commit as well then to reduce emissions coming from our public transportation fleet. With new hybrid buses coming online, we can now say confidently, Mayor Fenty, get this, we will have the greenest public transportation fleet in the entire nation within 12 months. We are committed to that. We will make that a reality. We will make that a reality. So look, bottom line is we all can agree that more people get out of their cars and use alternative transit, the better life is in this city for each and every one of us. But another way of doing that is to have safe, reliable, and may I say affordable taxicab service. Now, I know my former colleagues on the board won't like this, but the recent legislation that they just passed uh, makes San Francisco taxicabs one of the most expensive uh, to access in the nation. But if taking cabs is going to cost you more, fair enough. I don't think it should, but if it is, then let's at least resolve to make it easier for people to find one. You know, Customer service in the taxi industry. Customer service in the taxi industry is simply behind the times. We're one of the most technologically advanced cities in the world, yet taxi cabs are still being dispatched by radio. We're a transit-first city, but not when it comes to getting a taxi and you get placed on hold for 10 minutes even before you get a dispatcher on the phone. Now, for the taxi industry to survive and thrive for everyone, the drivers and the owners themselves, 
We have got to provide the best service possible. We must move this industry into the 21st century. I challenge the Taxi Commission and its industry partners to finally create that centralized dispatch system we've been talking about all this time and make sure that it's available online and by phone. You know, this idea, this idea was originally proposed uh, when Heidi Machen, then when she was working for a supervisor representing District 2 in 1999, when we announced our commitment to doing that. Now, here we are seven years later, and we're still debating whether or not to go forward with a centralized dispatch. It is time to do it. Time has come to make it a reality. So, Heidi and the Commission, I'm counting on you to do the hard work necessary to get this up and running. Another thing... You know, another thing, some folks may not think it's a big deal. I do. Another idea as time has come is to substantially expand the number of taxi stands in San Francisco. You know, anyone, just for example, any of you that been down to the Caltrans site at 4th and Townsend, uh, you know how important uh, and how successful those taxi stands are. So I'm directing the commission, the taxi commission, and the MTA in coordination with AC Transit, BART, and our other transit partners to install taxi stands in every major transit hub in the city, not just downtown. Recognizing their peak hours of need in our neighborhood, we will also create a system-wide, a comprehensive system-wide uh, network of taxi stands in every single neighborhood of San Francisco, in every neighborhood, including the southeast sector of San Francisco. What's more, what's more is I'm asking the Taxi Commission to require that a Taxi Riders Bill of Rights be posted in every cab with complaints, if there are any, and compliments, which I hope there are, directed to our new 311 call center. More on that in just a moment. Now, I recognize as mayor, I simply can't just wave my hands and make all of this so. But today I sent, this morning, in fact, I sent a letter to the Taxi Commission asking that they require finally require every single taxi cab in San Francisco to do two things, to accept credit cards and to be GPS enabled. And you say, you may get the credit cards. You say, well, what's the big deal about GPS? Well, GPS is the first step we must take in order to make that centralized dispatch system a reality. You can't do it without that GPS technology. I've also directed the commission to continue its transition. I'm excited about this. To continue its transition. We're only number two in the nation in alternative-fueled taxis. But who wants to be runner-up? We want to have the cleanest, greenest taxi fleet that this nation ever imagined, let alone attempted to have by 2011, our goal, my expectation, it should be your goal and your expectation and your determination is to have every single taxi cab out on the street to be completely green, completely clean, 100 percent alternative fuel. We can make that happen in the next four years. It's only 15 percent right now. There's no excuse not to make that happen. Uh, I noted that it is uh, a good uh, job that we have done that uh, 15% of all our calves, but second, again, uh, is not good enough. We're going to do better. You know, as we clean and green our taxi fleet, we must also make an investment in a cleaner and greener San Francisco. That's why we're expanding our Livable Cities initiative to green our streets and to help define the unique characteristics of each and every one of our diverse neighborhoods. We have secured some $8 million in 
state, and federal and local funds to begin major streetscape improvements. Everything from planting trees to improving those median strips to repairing those sidewalks and replacing street lamps. We're completing the San Bruno Avenue and Lombard Street plans. We're beginning work on Van Ness Avenue and Polk Street. And Balboa and Ocean Avenue are now in the planning stages. Our goal is not only soften the edges of our urban landscape, but to restore a sense of pride and restore a sense of place by revamping at least one major street or one major corridor in each and every supervisorial district. I want to thank the board for supporting this initiative, particularly Supervisor Dufty and others that have long championed this idea. I think it's a big idea, and I think it's something we all should rally around. Really do. Really do. In addition, in addition to these streetscape improvements, uh, we are making a lot of progress. We're making progress on our pledge to plant over 25,000 new street trees by 2011. This is substantially more than our city has ever done. As we did last year, we will do it again in the next 12 months. We will plant another 5,000 trees on our streets, in our open spaces, and in our neighborhood parks. And speaking of neighborhood parks. I don't think it's too much to ask either that our neighborhood parks be kept clean and safe as well. But, but it's one thing to be clean and safe. Uh, I don't think it's as much too much to ask either that we have residents uh, that can access their fields and their gyms easily without that cumbersome reservation policy to get on those fields that now exists. By early next year, by early next year, this is going to happen, working with Rec and Park, all users of our system will be able to reserve those play fields, those gymnasiums, and register for classes online. And for those, and for those that don't have a computer or Internet access, we're going to substantially expand the number of sites across the city where you can make a reservation in person, cutting down on wait time and making it more convenient for all of us. I want to thank Supervisor Ma for beating me up on this and making sure that this becomes a reality. I think she no doubt will enjoy these changes, as I imagine every baseball, every softball, every football, and every soccer league in San Francisco as well. I'm excited about that. It's the little things. Now, while all San Franciscans uh, should be able to enjoy those clean parks and safe parks near their home, all residents should also be able to walk in neighborhoods that are clean and safe on streets that are free of litter and free of garbage. That's why just this month, just a few weeks ago, in fact, we launched a clean corridors program that focuses on our main commercial corridors. Over the next nine months, BPW crews will be out in force at over 100 of our most heavily congested blocks throughout our city. You're going to see workers, just for example, over the weekend out there on 3rd Street and on Mission and Grant Avenue next week. They're going to be removing graffiti. They're going to be picking up trash and bringing these 100 key corridors to a higher standard of care and a higher standard of cleanliness. This initiative, if it proves successful, and I have all the confidence in the world that it will, will be substantially expanded into the coming year. Now, another successful tool to improve our neighborhood commercial corridors is the creation of these community benefit districts. Thanks in large part by the good work of Supervisor Aaron Peskin, 
neighborhood groups and merchants associations now have the ability to come together to form these community benefit districts to expand daily street cleaning, to plant new trees, to sponsor neighborhood art festivals, to provide new signage and banners and other improvements. Now, when I took office, we had only one CBD, and that was in Union Square. Last year at this time, I pledged to create six more. And I want to just give you an update. We are well on our way to making that pledge a reality. The Fillmore CBD and the Central Market CBD were both recently approved. And just yesterday, coincidentally, I signed enabling legislation forming our newest community benefit districts, the district, and that's down on Fisherman's Wharf. We need to encourage every other neighborhood and every other business district in our city to do just the same. So that's why, that's why in next year's budget, a little foreshadowing, we will include in that budget a matching grant funding for merchants or giving the opportunity to get new funding for merchants and residents and property owners interested in forming more of these districts. I will also add additional matching capital funding for existing districts so they can plant even more trees, install even more planters and hanging baskets and purchase more benches and trash cans if necessary and other improvements, leading to a cleaner, greener, safer city, giving residents and businesses as well the final say, and I think this is really truly about community initiative, giving the residents and businesses in the area the final say on how their funds can best be spent. That does not come from City Hall. That comes from the community, a big reason we want to see more of these throughout San Francisco. Now, in the process, we're also going to recognize our responsibility to help these merchants and property owners fight the relentless scourge of graffiti, which despite considerable amount of attention from my administration, all too clearly remains a problem. I get it. Cleaning up graffiti, though, may I say, is simply not good enough in it of itself. You know, it's time we hold those responsible for it more accountable. That's why we partnered with Kamala Harris and the district attorney's office to fund an attorney full time to prosecute the worst graffiti offenders. And I want to underscore this. That's, at the same time, we've not only begun to hold these graffiti artists more responsible or graffiti taggers, but we have also substantially helped expand alternatives to appropriate artistic expression. Appropriate artistic expression, respectfully, is not tagging a stop sign. So that's the distinction. I just want to make sure we're all clear on this. Now, there's something else I think we are very clear about, and that is that San Francisco has always maintained, I believe this in my core, the city has always maintained an almost instinctive notion that we are all in this together, that we are truly one community, and that we are much better when few of us are left behind. That is why we cannot forget, we will not and cannot forget that the greatest challenge our city still faces is the challenge of homelessness. Without question, without question, over the last three years, we have made good progress. And I want to thank Angela Aliotto in particular and her team for their extraordinary work over the last two and a half years to help end chronic homelessness. We have the first plan in our city's history to do just that. With their guidance, 
with their guidance in the last few years, we have made Housing First a reality. We've instituted a, a new program called Homeward Bound, and we've launched Project Homeless Connect that has become a model for the nation. The numbers, the numbers tell the story. We have placed 2,222 individuals into permanent supportive housing just in the last two and a half years. And, and this is something, this is something I'm proud of. 95% of the people that we placed in that housing are still in that housing today. So when people talk about service resistance, we will refer to that example. We've also created 1,891 new units of housing. That is a 152% increase than where we were in December of 2003. That brings, that brings our total to over 3,130 units of permanent supportive housing for single adults. That is not bad in this city. That's not bad. In addition, one this is amazing. 1,656 individuals have been compassionately and thoughtfully reunited with their family and friends through our Homeward Bound program that just began this time last year. And something that I am particularly proud of, something I am particularly proud of, and you should be as well, and for many of you that have participated, thank you. Do you know that 22,000 San Franciscans have committed their time to volunteer through Project Homeless Connect. They have helped literally thousands of homeless individuals connect to care like medical, attention, federal benefits, and a host of other critical services. 22,000 people have volunteered their time to help those that need them the most. Let me just say how proud I am. And for any of you that haven't had the privilege and the opportunity to visit one of our Project Homeless Connect uh, days, please take the time. It's an extraordinary thing. It will restore a sense of, of pride and spirit uh, in this city, and I think it will make you very proud indeed. Look, in total, in total, we're proud of it. In total, when you add all those numbers up, since 2003, when we began, some 4,000 263 homeless individuals have permanently left the streets of our city. 4,263. That's not bad progress in just two and a half years. But, but I know all you need to do is walk down any street in San Francisco, and you know and I know that our job is not yet done. The fact is the vast majority of our chronic homeless that still remain out on the streets suffer from the indignities of addiction and mental illness. They're the highest users of our city services and also at times, yes, still the most resistant to getting the help that they deserve and the help that they need. So here's what we're going to do about it. Through a collaboration, working with our homeless outreach workers, the Department of Human Services, the city attorney, the public defender, the district attorney, and the courts, we're going to implement a brand new serial inebriate program that provides treatment to those in particular that are suffering from chronic alcoholism. This program, this program was implemented in 2000 in San Diego, and it has reduced the number of chronic inebriants on their streets from 750 when they started to less than 175 today. There is no reason, no reason,
that San Francisco can't successfully adopt and implement a similar strategy to help those suffering out on our streets. We will do that. I'm excited about this plan. really am. In addition, in addition, uh, we're going we're gonna to start working with these liquor store owners to, to limit the sales of certain kinds of alcohol in critical areas of the city. You know, I, I don't know about you, but, but I can't believe in good conscience uh, some of these operators can sell high-proof alcohol to clearly chronic alcoholics at 6, 7, 8, or 9 o'clock in the morning, day in and day out. Yet they have the legal right to do that. That has got to stop. And we are going to work with them to end that practice. And by the way, if we can't do it voluntarily, we're going to have to ask Mark Leno and others to help us at the state level. We are simply giving people the tools for their own demise. We've got a moral and an ethical obligation to change that practice. I also believe that it's time as well that we got serious about providing a comprehensive housing-based work program, one that targets homeless individuals that have histories of incar incarceration as well as histories of substance abuse. We've got to provide them employment, and in return, they get housing, food, and financial incentives to work and stay drug-free after completing these type of programs. I'm going to be talking a lot more about this in the upcoming weeks ahead. Simply put, we need to create more job opportunities for homeless individuals. Here's where we have a big gap to move them forward to real independence. We've got to focus, got to focus on that. We also need to uh, commit to an effort to expand those homeless outreach teams, to create new teams that are focused citywide, to reach to every neighborhood, not just the central city. You know that currently our teams are primarily deployed in the, the Tenderloin, in the Mission, in the market, mid-market area, south of market, uh, as well as the Castro. And these teams have proven extraordinarily successful. Over 300 people have been put into permanent housing, have gotten treatment, and they're now directly off the streets because we instituted these first-of-their-kind homeless outreach efforts. We can replicate that success, though. We can replicate it in every corner of the city. And I plan to do so by hiring next year many times more outreach workers with the support, I hope, each and every one of the members of the Board of Supervisors. In addition to that, they didn't applaud. I wish they did. Uh, what's more, expanding outreach teams will also make it possible for any San Franciscan who wishes to seek to help and homeless individual that is obviously in need to do so by simply dialing 311. Again, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Now, now while we're making great headway on reducing the number of people living out on our streets, we also must do a better job addressing quality of life crimes that don't make headlines but make our life here in San Francisco that much harder. Too often, you see it, I see. You see people out in the streets shooting up. You see them dealing drugs in public. And far too many people, increasingly, far too many people are having their car windows smashed in and they're having their cars broken into. We know that much of this crime is driven by substance abuse and mental illness. Services are obviously important, but some people simply refuse to participate in those services without strong encouragement. 
Once again, the district attorney and I have been spending a lot of time on this issue, and I know that Kamala Harris feels very strongly about this. And we agree that there needs to be more responsibility. We agree there needs to be more accountability on all sides. And, of course, we agree there needs to be more successful rehabilitation. The city will continue to offer treatment options, sure. But we're going to make it clear that if you refuse treatment, there's got to be some consequences. Because the truth is, these crimes so often, in spite of the fact they may be minor under the law, are often committed by people with major records. We're not pretending we can fix these problems overnight, but together with the DA, we are going to create first-of-its-kind new enforcement program to target and address these types of quality-of-life infractions. This is going to be a pilot project, and we will start small. But we're finally going to do this. But the DA and I are optimistic that this focused enforcement effort will make our city safer and help those that need a little bit more encouragement to get off the street and get the help that they need. Now, while we're trying to find new and innovative ways to tackle quality of life, the reality is San Francisco, like almost every major city in the United States today, is experiencing a surge in violent crime. There is no excuse. There is no excuse for a single homicide, but nor is there a single cure. Make no mistake. We are already implementing newest strategies, brand new strategies, to address the root causes and effects of this critical problem. We're implementing neighborhood-specific community policing plans throughout San Francisco. We're working in partnership with state and federal law enforcement agencies, including the California Highway Patrol, to increase saturation of resources and hotspots. We're increasing our tactical units, our specialty units. We're expanding our gang task force and extending the hours of our narcotics unit. And we're working at a new level, an unprecedented level of collaboration with our public safety agencies to combat gun and gang violence with programs like Project Gunstop and Operation Ceasefire, which are taking guns off the street and focusing police and prosecution efforts on gang leaders. We're employing state-of-the-art technologies like community safety cameras. And we're continuing to civilianize the police department so that officers are not behind a desk, but officers are out on the streets. Twenty-three additional around the new year will be out for the chart. We've recently hired... We've recently hired 153 officers, complementing probably one of the most aggressive recruitment and training program initiatives in recent memory. But to keep us on pace, this is important, to keep us on pace of our goal of 700 new officers by 2009, we must recruit upwards of 2,100 applicants due to attrition and due to the enormous number of retirements in our police force. I want to urge every San Franciscan to a new call of service, to become a police officer, to become part of the front line of ensuring our city's public safety. We need your help. And while recruitment, while recruitment is a priority, we will also be doing more to retain experienced officers. We've been working with Supervisor Sean Ellsburn and the Police Officers Association. And just this week, the supervisor pushed forward an initiative to create financial incentives to retain experienced officers as well as incentives to recruit officers from other jurisdictions. Today I want to ask that all the members of the Board of Supervisors support this effort to ensure we have the funding necessary to put this essential plan into action. But we know 
you know, we all know that officers are not on and alone, rather, the answer. It's not a, enough to be tough on crime. We also must be tough on the root causes of crime. And that means we need to stop playing in the margin when it comes to the conditions of poverty that create a general re generational legacy of hopelessness and a generational legacy oftentimes of violence. That's why we've created Communities of Opportunity, a groundbreaking initiative modeled after New York's very successful Harlem Children's Zone that reinvests city dollars in centralized coordination in a fashion that is determined and identified in terms of needs by members within the community. We looked at the data, and this will be interesting, I hope to you. We looked at the data and we found that there are seven corners, literally just seven corners in our city that are the intersections of families most at risk and most in crisis. Four of them are in the southeast sector of San Francisco, one in Petrero Hill, one in the Western Edition, and one in the Tenderloin. It is in these neighborhoods that are our communities of opportunity, places of diminished hope, sure, but also of great expectation. Think about this. Think about this. In spite of the fact we invested last year an historic $98 million in and around the four areas in the southeast sector alone, the numbers tell a very damning story. Unemployment there is 50% higher than the city average. And two-thirds of the families living out there are living in poverty. And by the age of 17, and this is a disgrace, by the age of 17 in and around these areas, 70% of the young African-American males have been involved in some way, shape, or form with our juvenile justice system. 70%. Clearly, despite decades and decades of government investment and promises, few residents or even the service providers are seeing the kind of positive results that they expect and that the community deserves. So we must do things very differently. At the intersection, we must. At the intersections of Fitzgerald and Griffith, Sunnydale and Santos, West Point and Middle Point, Oakdale and Griffith, here in our city's southeast, we are doing things differently, and Communities of Opportunity is just beginning to take shape. You know, we held over 50 community meetings, and we heard from over 300 residents to help shape the core principles of this unique place-based strategy. Communities of Opportunity is anchored on three bedrock principles. One, linking services to results. Two, delivering services that actually improve the lives of people they serve. And three, strengthening families to help re-knit the fabric of the community. For the pilot phase, we launched just about 30 days ago. We identified 2,600 families that are in crisis in these four areas. And we partnered with the philanthropic community. And we have raised, this is remarkable, we have raised $5 million to date to invest in programs with proven track records for lasting change. $5 million has already been raised for this initiative. We are also creating opportunity centers in this area as well. These centers will serve as social and professional hubs for families and individuals, providing education, job training, job placement, child care, and other services meant to help residents stand on their own. Through these centers, by this time next year, we plan to train and place over 400 residents from these four small areas into new jobs. 
We plan to target 100 at-risk families as well with intensive wraparound services tailored to their needs. I'm hoping to work with Supervisor Maxwell and Supervisor Mercurimi, who have long been calling for a Marshall Plan to address the root causes of crime and violence to expand, to help us expand these communities of opportunity to other high-need areas of San Francisco in the months and years ahead. Now, let us not forget as well that one of the best crime prevention strategies remains a high-wage job. That's why working very closely with Supervisor Maxwell and our friends in the building trades, we created City Build and City Build Academy, an initiative that offers low-income San Franciscans the opportunity to learn new skills and access high-paying jobs. City Build leverages billions and billions of dollars that we're investing in our infrastructure over the next decade to bring poor and working-class San Franciscans into the middle class. To date, City Build has trained and placed over 240 low-income San Franciscans into highly skilled and highly paid jobs. And speaking of jobs, we're proud of that, 240. And speaking, and speaking of jobs, do you know that this past summer alone we created over 3,000 jobs and job training placements for at-risk youth and young adults? That is one of the most concerted efforts in our city's history. I'm proud of the support we received from the Board of Supervisors and the community, and that was an extraordinary effective effort these last number of months. Now, central to any strategy to combat poverty and the underlying causes of poverty is obvious quality education. We need schools that provide tools. We need schools that that provide tools and opportunity for advancement that are often too lacking in underserved communities. We need schools defined by excellence, no matter which neighborhood they're in. That's why we've made an historic and unprecedented investment in our public schools over the last three years. Do you know that the city has contributed over $77 million in the last 36 months to our public schools? No city in America does that. No city. And by the way, that is well beyond, to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, well beyond what the voters called for with Proposition H. And this investment has resulted in tangible improvements and tangible benefits for our kids. We are gaining momentum in our effort to make San Francisco schools the reasons, reason people want to stay here, families want to stay here, as opposed to the reason families want to leave. And to ensure that we don't lose ground in this effort, we are working to create the first-of-its-kind joint partnership with the school district, a memorandum of understanding, a joint partnership that has never once seen the light of day in the past, but that will make it easier for our city to bring services as well as bring resources to our students and their families, resources like those wellness centers and after-school programs, continue our anti-truancy efforts and expand all of those other initiatives uh, that we have so far committed to. I've directed each and every one of our department heads who work already very closely with the schools and those even that to date have not been working with the schools to think even more strategically about ways they can further contribute to our schools. Let me just give you an example. you got an elementary school in San Francisco that doesn't have adequate sports facility and it's right next door to a neighborhood park. Why is it that we shouldn't allow that elementary school to be given priority to use that park, particularly if that park's underutilized by the community? Or conversely, 
in a neighborhood where there are no parks and you have a small school with an extraordinary ball field, why aren't we providing those same recreational opportunities for that neighborhood? See, that's what this partnership is about, simple efficiencies like that, as well, of course, as broad policy changes like our pledge to create after-school opportunities for all elementary and public school students in San Francisco. Now, we committed. That's, that's exciting. Last year, last year, at this time, I pledged to have after-school for all a reality, make it a reality in San Francisco by 2010. And I just want to give you an update. Today, I can proudly say that we are absolutely on track to achieve that goal. Because this year alone, this year alone, we will have invested over $2 million to advance this initiative for over 2,000 kids. At the same time, we're also going to be leveraging over $5 million in state funding for even more programming. We have also, and I'm proud of this, made remarkable strides, not just in that effort, with that initiative, but we've also made extraordinary strides in returning arts education back to our schools. It's important. Well, thanks to that recently completed arts education master plan, we have finally restored comprehensive arts education for every child in every classroom, K through 12. Now, that's great. You know, now these schools, now these schools once again have budgets for art supplies, music uh, supplies, dance. They have opportunities for more professional development and even have the resources now. They didn't have this in the past to host visiting artists, making San Francisco undoubtedly one of the only school districts in not only the entire state, but this nation with this type of comprehensive arts curriculum. We are making progress in our public schools. I want to say this, though, that we are not yet there. We cannot forget. We must resolve to do better. That's why today I'm challenging the public schools to create a basic expectation for community service. I challenge every high school principal. I challenge every high school principal in this city to create a new standard of excellence, one defined by service. The goal should be to make community service a common experience, a rite of civic passage for all young San Franciscans on their way to responsibility and productive citizenship. I think it should be a requirement to graduate our public schools. You know, in 1962, Bobby Kennedy spoke here in San Francisco at USF. And he took the opportunity then to remind the audience that since the times of the Greeks and the Romans, when the word citizen was a title of honor, we have often seen more emphasis on the rights of citizenship than on its responsibilities. He also noted though, that responsibility is the greatest right of citizenship and that service is the greatest of freedom's privileges. That was 44 years ago, and it remains true today. Let us commit. Let us commit, as Kennedy committed so many years ago, to a new covenant, a new fellowship of shared interests, an ideal of a just community. And let us start 
with the current generation of young people currently in our public schools. It is time for all of us, politicians and parents and school-aged kids, to recognize that we are indeed one city and one community and that we are strengthened when we contribute our time to those most in need. So this November, this November, I hope when we have the chance to go to the ballot box and elect a new school board, that those individuals understand the importance of community service. And that's why I'm supporting, proud to support candidates like Hydra Mendoza. And I'm proud Hydra is here today in the room. Schools, of course, are one of government's greatest responsibilities, and they are very core of our quality of life. But quality of life is just not about good schools and clean streets and, and good public transit. It's also about how government serves you. And without question, one of the ongoing frustrations for anyone who lives in San Francisco is just how hard it is to get a simple answer to a simple question down at City Hall. But that is about to change. It's taken, I admit, it has taken a little bit longer than we would have liked. But finally, finally, this spring, those 2,300, those 2,300 telephone numbers that are currently, apparently, available to serve you will be replaced with one single three-digit telephone number that can access a real human being seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and 140 languages. And that is 311. About time, just months away. With 311, we have a tool that's more than just for residents to interact with city government. It's more than just making your life a little bit easier. It's also a powerful management tool for making government more effective and making government more accountable. Once 311 is fully implemented, we're going to know how long, for example, it takes to clean up that trash or fill that pothole or move that car blocking your driveway. And that knowledge, that fundamental knowledge that we're going to receive because of this system is going to help us deliver services faster and more efficiently, and I would argue in a more cost-effective manner as well. Now, while the 311 call center will make a big difference, many San Franciscans also have trouble accessing basic information, not just on the phone, but also online. If you're one of those 100-plus thousand San Franciscans with limited English proficiency, your experience on our city web pages have probably been, well, frankly, unintelligible. And with good reason. Many of these, trans many of these translations are, are simply gibberish. And much of the information that others provide is simply not made available to you. We need to make sure that our web resources make sense in every language. That's why I've asked that the assessor recorder, Phil Ting, working in partnership with Jose Cisnero, lead an effort to make sure that our web pages start making sense to all San Franciscans. As part of a comprehensive overhaul of our city's technology services, non-English speaking residents can now look forward finally can look forward to culturally competent web services. And all our residents can also look forward to new, more dynamic and interactive, user-friendly city web pages. Finally, that is happening. It's an issue of accessibility. It's an issue of ease. It's an issue of accountability. It's an issue of making the city a little easier to navigate and to making the city a little easier to live in. And it is a city that goes directly, or rather an issue that goes directly to the heart of an initiative to make free wireless Internet available to every San Franciscan. Wi-Fi 
Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi, though, in and of itself, make no mistake, Wi-Fi in and of itself is not enough. We also must take concrete steps to bridge the digital divide. That's why we've recently created a citywide digital inclusion strategy, anchored in free Wi-Fi. Our inclusion strategy will provide free or affordable hardware, culturally competent training, and geographically relevant content to those communities too long that have been isolated by poverty and violence. I ask the Board of Supervisors, I plead to the Board of Supervisors to help us move this plan forward so that this critical effort can take shape for free wireless Internet. And we can make this reality. We can make this reality just in the next few months. So please, former colleagues, let's deliver on this promise. Let's deliver on this promise. From potholes to 311 to cultural competency. We're making progress in addressing the small matters that often matter most. But the reality is there's one final, very important quality of life concern that is anything but easy to solve. And that is the unbelievable cost of housing in our city. It is out of control. And it is driving out San Franciscans who have called this place home for generations. There is no one answer. But there are some very clear goals, and it's time we start meeting and exceeding those goals. Last year, I announced I announced our plan, Home 15-5, that calls for 15,000 new housing units to be built over the next five years. That, incidentally, would represent the largest housing expansion in our city's history, save 1906 reconstruction. 5,400 of those new housing units, incidentally, will be made affordable to low- and moderate-income San Franciscans. Last year alone, this is important, last year alone the city authorized construction, almost a record amount of permits, authorized construction of 5,570 new homes, more than double what we did in 2004 and more than we have seen literally in decades. And while we invested, not a lot of people know this, while we invested some 210 $2.7 million in affordable housing in last year's budget, I've got to tell you, frankly, it's not even close to enough. We need more housing, more housing of all types, particularly in our new and emerging neighborhoods. From where we stand today, we're just a single T-line, you'll be calling it T-line, away from over 9,675 units of new housing in Mission Bay and on Rincon Hill. That number, incidentally, rises to 15,675 if you add Treasure Island, which we are all firmly committed to moving forward. These new neighborhoods, which incidentally as well are models of community input and planning, as well as environmental sustainability, are also models of basic affordability. Together, they will create 4,020 new units of affordable housing. What's more, the new plan out here in Bayview-Hunters Point, the new project area plan, calls for 3,700 additional housing units, 25% of which will be made affordable to low-income and median-income residents, well above, incidentally, our new inclusionary housing requirements. But when we talk about housing, we need to be talking about housing for all San Franciscans, including the residents of our housing authority. And that means honestly dealing with these massive federal cuts in housing programs like HOPE 6 and Section 8 that have been enacted by the Bush administration. These drastic cuts have left us with a clear moral imperative.
we must address the conditions in our housing projects. If we don't, we're going to allow them to deteriorate, and in so doing, we will be turning our backs on thousands of our fellow citizens. That's why I ask each and every one of you, that's why I ask each and every one of you to join me in an unprecedented initiative in proving the deplorable state of our public housing developments. Together with a broad partnership, I believe we can rebuild hope in our city. That's why we are initiating Hope SF, an effort to rebuild our most distressed housing authority properties into mixed-use and mixed-income communities, creating more low-income housing, more middle-income housing, and more housing generally overall. Too many of our housing authority projects, respectfully, are scars on the landscape of San Francisco. They were built in an era when the federal government was focused on temporary and cheap housing. They were dropped into isolated locations because the land was cheap and there was no real neighborhood opposition. And they were built without reference. This is important. They were built without reference to the underlying problems of poverty and unemployment, which caused people to seek the housing in the first place. And there's another terrible chapter in this story. And that is the shameful history of redevelopment across this country and here in our own city, San Francisco. We did, we did something terribly wrong when we tore down our historic neighborhoods and replaced them with housing, housing projects, which from my perspective were historic mistakes. We displaced and drove out families. And we occurred a debt to the people of those destroyed neighborhoods that has yet to be repaid. I can tell you right now that we are going to repay that debt, and we're going to start repaying that debt by restoring each and every one of these housing authority projects to something much better than the original construction and certainly something much better to when they were originally destroyed. Right now, these projects are not just in some of the most challenging places to live, but they're also in some of the most isolated communities, far from jobs, far from services, or even simple things like a supermarket or a pharmacy. And ironically, they are also, and this is interesting, ironically, they're also in some of the least dense areas of our city. Now, we can use that accident of history to repair the damage caused by these projects, because within the footprint of these projects is a space to replace each and every housing authority unit. But that is just for starters. Hope SF includes adding, in addition to the housing, new ground floor retail, adding new opportunities for new jobs and units that, again, not only can be rented by low-income San Franciscans, but also adding new market rate units and creating new homes for sale. The goal is to leave the city with better neighborhoods, more housing, and finally, a clean conscience when it comes to the terrible history of neglect in our public housing authority. Hope SF, Hope SF will rebuild 2,500 new housing authority units, up to 1,000 new low-income units, and will will help pay for this. We're going to pay for this by creating 2,500 new family housing units for sale. We will create new neighborhoods as well by preserving existing neighborhoods, by relieving all that pressure for new housing, and create, as I noted, greater economic opportunities for the residents. And perhaps 
perhaps more important than anything else, what we'll do is right that wrong. Look, from where we stand today, at the nexus of Bayview Hunters Point, the Excelsior, and Visitation Valley, we can see the future of San Francisco taking shape. A city we can all live in. A city that doesn't pit one group against another and lets them fight it out. A city not just for the few, but a city for all. It's both the big ideas and the small things that together add up to a city we can all call home. We've accomplished much, but frankly, it pales in comparison to our challenges. If we are remain a city of constant possibility, we must once again become a city that works. We will never stop dreaming big, and we will never stop acting boldly. But neither should we be afraid to roll up our sleeves and deal with the problems that never make the newspapers, but that make all of the difference to the people of San Francisco. I am proud of this city, and I am proud of the progress we have made, and I am proud to be your mayor. Thank you all very, very much for being here. Now let's get to work. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, guys.